This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. All right. Hey, did you guys notice that the majority of the team is quite youthful today? I told Tyler, I think they make us look and sound younger than normal. But hey, I'm any, excited. Anything I can do. I'm excited to have the youth, many of whom are in town out from college. Yeah, isn't it awesome? All right, well, they have a seat, or they actually step off the stage. I'm going to invite you to do something a little different this morning while Scripture is read, and that is we're going to remain standing. We're going to do something else a little bit different, and we're going to have the words for you in English, which I'm sure you will appreciate, but we're going to have them read in French, and I'm excited about that. I'm always excited, just like hearing Tyler is back from Germany. I'm, I'm excited to be reminded that there are believers around the world that are worshiping the same God. And so I think it's important for us, it's good for us to get out of our little comfort zones or out of our boxes and hear it maybe said differently. And then even just to stand, that gives us a little bit of a different posture. So for those of you that haven't met Lauren yet, she's one of our summer interns who's just days away from returning to California. Lauren is going to read for us while you guys can go ahead and have a seat or step off the stage. And uh, I want to just invite you to take it in. You can follow along with Lauren, but she will be reading it in French. Thanks, Lauren. All right, the word of the Lord, les paroles de Dieu. À l'époque des Jus, il y eut une famine dans le pays. Un homme de Bethléem de Juda, parti avec sa femme et ses deux fils, s'installait dans le pays de Moab. Le nom de cet homme était Elimelech, celui de sa femme Naomi, et ses deux fils s'appelaient Maclon et Kijon. Ils étaient Ephratiens de Bethléem en Juda. Arrivés au pays de Moab, ils s'y attibleront. Elimelech, le mari de Naomi, mourut et resta avec ses deux fils. Il prit des femmes moabites. L'une s'appelait Oprah et l'autre Ruth, et ils habiteraient là environ dix ans. Maintenant, et Kijon mourut aussi tous ces deux, et Naomi resta privée de ses deux fils et de son mari. Alors elle se leva, elle et ses belles-fils, afin de quitter le pays de Moab. En effet, il y avait appris que l'Éternel était intervenu en faveur de son peuple et lui avait donné du pain. Elle partit de l'endroit où elle habitait, accompagnée de ses deux belles-filles, et elle se mit en route pour retourner dans le pays de Juda. Naomi dit à ses deux belles-filles, « Allez-y, retournez chacune dans la famille de votre mère. » Que l'Éternel agisse avec bonté envers vous, comme vous l'avez fait envers ceux qui sont morts et envers moi. Que l'Éternel fasse trouver à chacun de repos dans la maison du mari. Puis elle les embrassa. Elle se mit à pleurer tout haut et lui dire Non, nous irons avec toi vers ton peuple. Naomi dit Retournez chez vous, mes filles. Pourquoi viendrez-vous avec moi suis-je encore en état d'avoir des filles qui puissent devenir vos maris? Retournez chez vous, mes filles. Allez-y. And in verses 16 through 22, Ruth répondit, Ne me pousse pas à te laisser à repartir loin de toi. Où tu iras, j'irai. Où tu habiterai, j'habiterai. Ton peuple sera mon peuple et ton Dieu sera mon Dieu. Où tu mourrais, je mourrai et j'y serai enterré. 
que l'Éternel me traite avec la plus grande sévérité, si autre chose que la mort me sépare de toi. Le voyant décider à l'accompagner, Naomi cessa d'insister auprès d'elle. Elles firent ensemble le voyage jusqu'à leur arrivée à Bethléem. Lorsqu'elles entrèrent dans Bethléem, toute la vie fut dans l'agitation à cause d'elles. Les femmes disaient, « Est-ce que bien Naomi ?» Elle leur dit, « Ne m'appelez plus pas Naomi, appelez-moi Mara, car le Tout-Puissant m'a rempli d'amertume. J'étais dans l'abondance amendée par l'Éternel me ramène, les mains vides. Pourquoi m'appellerez-vous Naomi après que l'Éternel s'est prononcé contre moi, après que le Tout-Puissant a provoqué mon malheur ?» C'est ainsi que Naomi et sa belle-fille Ruth, la Moabite, renvers du pays de Moab. Elles arrivent à Bethléem au début de la moisson de l'orge. Praise be Well, I had to focus, but that was beautiful, and it's been a joy for me. My name is Mike, and part of our staff team. It's been a joy to have our summer interns this summer, and last night we had a potluck celebrating the summer together, and then we had a worship time led by Jensen and, and a bunch of others, and just a sweet time together. So thank you to Lauren and for who she is and what, how she served the summer. So if you see her, just give her a hug. I think she'll be leaving the third, so um, that's coming up real soon. Well, a little funny story about me in French. When I, my son is headed to college. When I was in his shoes exactly many moons ago, I thought when I was registering for classes, man, if I want to meet girls, I need to take French. And um, so I took French my fall term at University of Washington for six weeks. I had to withdraw. And here's the bad news is that there were like 20 guys in my French class. And, uh, and then I could not get that language to save my life. And so ended up having to withdraw from that. So I really appreciate people that can speak and uh, live in French. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful language. Well, I love uh, our series that we're in, Down But Not Out, The Art of the Comeback. I love those boxing gloves. I am not a boxer in any stretch of the imagination. But in my heart, I do like to engage in battle. And what, what does God have for me? What does God have for this world? And so all of us have, will face comeback opportunities. It's, this world is just filled with pain. Uh, we have broken humanity. I'm not going to talk a ton about that, but we were made in the image of God, but in the fall, humanity was broken. We are not how we were made to be. We experience death. We are separated from God. And everything that was good and perfect before the fall has been twisted and curved, and we're but an image of God now. Um, but so my humanity's broken, creation's broken, and we have a fallen enemy. We sang about that in one of the earlier songs, and that creates an avalanche of pain. There's this brokenness everywhere we look. And so actually this, this issue, looking at uh, brokenness and the problem of pain, a lot of people struggle with can I believe that God is good or that God is real because of the issue of pain. And so this is one slight way that I, I think about this is that God is not done with brokenness. 
He's not done. It's, we're in the process of him restoring all things. Uh, it is not finished yet. And so when we experience brokenness, that is what the world offers right now. Um, and it's terrible. We just read about Naomi, uh, and she lost her husband. She lost her sons. She had no hope in this foreign land, and she had no hope returning. She was going to go home to poverty. And so uh, that's a reality of our broken world and broken humanity. It's hard. Sometimes we have an easy life, and then some people have incredibly painful lives. So I don't, I don't want to make light, and I don't want us to compare. Uh, there are some of us in this room that have had incredibly painful journeys, and I, I, can, I don't think I'm tough enough to handle some of that. Uh, God hasn't seen fit for me to walk that road. And so my heart goes out to those that have been through very broken places. And we're going to talk a little about, about the comeback from those types of things. Um, but remembering, I mean, I, this is a, a verse I think about a lot in John 10.10. 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And we see that all over the world. I see that in my life. I see that in my neighborhood. I see that in Alaska. I see that in the United States. I see it in the world. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Abundance. All right. So um, are we stuck there? There we go. So one thing we need to think about... um, that helps me is that God is taking our story and he's revealing who he is. That's what he did with the Israelites and that's what he's doing through the church now. We are part of his plan for showing creation who he is. Uh, I've said it many times, uh, if you, and then so I don't know if I've said it here, but I say it out loud all the time, that uh, in First Peter, there's a, just a little verse that talks about how angels long to look into the things that God is doing. And it's, it's being revealed, and it's partly revealed through us. So angels are even learning about who God is as he interacts with creation. So he is infinite. The greatest scholar still has everything to learn about, or, well, more to learn about God. He is vast in who he is. And our story is a part of how he shows who he is. Today, we're going to look at soteriology, and that's the study of salvation. And it's just a fancy word, um, and I love it as a theological topic. It's one of my favorite things to, to study, and partly because I was a book that I got, and I, I just I love the way it's written. And so you're going to get Mike's nerd side this morning, um, because I help, it helps me understand pain. When I think about salvation rightly, it helps me understand pain in life. So here's some beautiful words that go with salvation. Um, The first one in Hebrew is yesah. And I forgive me if I don't say them right. Uh, I'm doing my best. So it begins with this idea of it's open, wide, and roomy, and it's contrasted with being constricted or restricted. So yesah has this idea of taking something that's restricted and moving to open, wide, and roomy. So that's a Beautiful part. So when they use the word deliverance in the Old Testament, that's usually what the Yesah is one of the words they use all the time, and it, it's translated into being open, wide, and roomy. Soteria is the Greek word in the New Testament, and it parallels that Hebrew word and its derivatives. 
Um, thus, the Old Testament concept of deliverance is carried over to the New Testament. So deliverance is a part of salvation. Being stuck and then being free. And part of what, if you hike in Alaska or just even, I love how we could just see here. Uh, I grew up in western Washington. I love trees, but it's like a tunnel. <laughs> you can't see over the horizon. Um, so I love being able to see. It reminds me of there's hope somewhere out there. There's sun. Uh, so other beautiful words and imagery. So a number of times, soteria, that's that Greek word for salvation, is translated shalom, peace, or wholeness, which broadens the idea of rescue and deliverance to include recovery, safety, and preservation. So sometimes when... Uh, the word in the Old Testament was used. They would use the word shalom. So soteria is sometimes cross-translated with shalom. So wholeness. It's not just rescue. It's recovery and wholeness. So salvation has really three parts to it. In evangelical churches, we almost only talk about one part of salvation. And we say, are you saved? And so... Uh, and that's, it's okay, but that's one-third of salvation. Salvation has three parts. When we say that, most often we're saying, are you saved from the penalty of sin? That is the most imminent threat. We are dead and separate from God. So that needs to happen. I need to be saved from the penalty of sin. But that's an immediate part of salvation. That happens. I believe that happens immediately. The second part is this ongoing aspect of safety and engagement and help. And so that's, I am being saved from the power of sin. So I have broken humanity still, but God is at work helping to save me through encouragement, remembering uh, the body. He's saving me from the power of sin. And I need it. And you need it too. Brokenness wrecks us. Uh, I could have a great day yesterday with God, and I could wake up today and be like, nah, it wasn't that great. I'm going to go do something else. I, I'm always being pulled by gravity. And so, this, uh, so this, these ideas, just so you know, this comes from a very um, good theologian, Earl Rodmacher. He was dean of uh, Western Seminary for a long time. Uh, I, I really love the way he, he writes this. So, I am saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. And lastly, the wholeness and fullness, I will be saved from the presence of sin. Now, that does not mean you can't experience part of that. And we're going to talk about that. And uh, I, before I forget, our healing prayer team for our church helps us experience all three of these things. God wants to save us. He wants us to move from restriction to open, wide, and roomy to freedom. It doesn't mean it's always immediate. And it doesn't mean that things happen the way I want them to. So we're going to look back at the, uh, the story of Ruth. And it's a narrative, so I'm not going to really teach a ton from it. But we're going to look at um, a little bit of how God does uh, this salvation for us. So Naomi... Hopefully you read it in English, because I'm not going to reread the whole thing. Um, so three characters we're going to focus on. Naomi was a Hebrew woman, and she moved uh, to Moab. And by the way, the book of Ruth is fantastic. 
and I'm just going to tip our, we're going to just dip our toe into it. <laughs> so if you like, I, I could talk for a long time about Ruth. Uh, what a beautiful story it is. But we're going to look at, so Naomi, she was a Hebrew woman, moved to Moab, married to a Hebrew guy, Elimelech. I think I got that right. Yep, Elimelech. And, and she had two sons, Malon and Kilian. They had both married Moabite women. Her husband dies. So she said, well, I still have my sons. And then each of her sons dies within a period of time. So she's left with, in a foreign land with a, two daughters-in-law that love her. And she's like, you know, go. You're young. You're beautiful. Go. Don't stick with me. I have no hope. My life is bitter. Um, she says that actually later. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And um, so we see that. And then Ruth is another character, a Moabite woman who lost her own husband, her Hebrew husband. And I think that's actually what the name Ruth means, Moabite who marries Hebrew. <laughs> so I was in the commentary I was reading. So, um, But she, she does, in her own pain, she's able, she's like, I am going to be with you. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I'm going to live. Your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. What a beautiful woman and courageous leader she is. Later, we'll see that she's worth more than, I think it's seven or ten sons. Just her, her character and who she is. Then we see Boaz, another character. Uh, he's a prosperous Hebrew farmer and distant relative of Naomi. And uh, what else does, I'm a little interactive this morning. So where else does Boaz come from? Who's in his family tree? Anybody have any remembering from... Who's his, I think it's his grandmother or great-grandmother? Rahab. So, and she was, she was the prostitute that hid the spies. And so we see even in her own story, God reveal and, and change things. We're not just what we've done. We're not just who we are. Uh, I mean, we're not just what we've done or what's been done to us. So part of Rahab... Her lineage is this incredible man, Boaz, who is prosperous. He's godly. Uh, one of my favorite verses for men is Isaiah 32.2. Each man will be a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert. And when you think about that verse, it's talking about being a king. That's Boaz. He is like a refuge from the storm as we read this uh, scripture. So I'm going, let's see. Um, so we're going to read Ruth 2, 1 through 20. And actually, I think I'm going to stop at verse 13. So now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. I'm reading this in English in case you're wondering. Um, from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabites, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. So one little tiny cool thing. Um, I like the way God deals with poverty. And so farmers couldn't take everything. They left stuff behind for people that needed food. But people that needed food had to participate in it. And so there's a good, healthy thing there. Um, 
We don't take all that we possibly can, but we share what is ours uh, with those that need food. Um, So that's just a little commentary. There's tons of it in Old Testament. I like how God sets things up. All right. So she goes out in the fields and began to, to glean. As it turns out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvester, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she was the Moabite Tess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink of water from the jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about you, about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May, the, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she replied, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. So women and encouragement, young ladies be like Ruth. (laughs) Her character went before her. And then I think she's probably pretty. And he's like, man, who's that? (laughs) But then her character is what spoke to Boaz. So the type of guy you want will be attracted by your character. And likewise, for you young men, the type of lady you want is going to be attracted by your character. So Boaz was a man of character. And um, he was actually not that young. (laughs) So but he was still attractive to Ruth. So character really counts. Um, All right, then we're going to skip ahead. Uh, Sorry, I thought I had it marked. In my head, I did. All right, we're going to skip ahead to uh, 19. So if you're following along, Ruth 2, 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped, so he, God, has not stop showing his kindness. And that's a beautiful Hebrew word, hesed. I can't say it right, but it means loyal affection, God's loyal affection toward us. It's one of the words translated for love. God has not stopped showing his loyal affection to the living and the dead. She added, the man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. So that's as far as in this story we're going to get. 
Because this idea of kinsman redeemer is a a critical part of salvation. Um, So what is God's posture toward us? So we have this restrict, this condition of brokenness, and some of it's crushing. Uh, I love in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes God as the father of all compassion. So God is the father of all compassion. As he looks at us, he has compassion on us. He's not pointing his finger, shaming me, blaming me. He has compassion. That is one of the characteristics of God the Father, full of compassion toward us. And he's also described as the God of all comfort. So when he looks at our situation, he has compassion and he wants to comfort and do something about it. So how does God bring deliverance from peril and restriction? And one of the, the key ideas is the go'il. Uh, it's a Hebrew word for kinsman, redeemer. And so kind of nerdy word, but uh, beautiful word. And when we think about this, it's incredible to start thinking about the- theology in relational terms. So uh, the goel is the closest relative. The kinsman redeemer is the closest relative who is able to rescue. So we get this picture and this beautiful picture in Ruth. So there's five things that must happen. And this is where our story parallels, and that's why Ruth is such an important book in the Bible. It introduces why Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He is our closest relative who's able to rescue us. So there's five things that must be true to be a kinsman redeemer. They must be a blood relative. And this was the requirement that brought the Son of God to, to earth and humanity. He took on human form. He's a blood relative. The second, he must be able to redeem. Christ alone could pay because he was infinite. He could pay for all sins because he is infinite. He is able to pay. Third, he must be willing. He left on his own choice. Uh, the Father sent him, and it was his in unity. Um, he came on his own choice. He must be free from the calamity. It said he, he is humanity, but he's also deity, the God-man. And he is not, he had never sinned. He has no sin. And so he's free from our calamity of brokenness. And he must act by paying the price. So we see that by Jesus giving his own life. His sacrifice was given, paid in full. So all the payment is made, and that's part. So he's, he's our closest relative, able to rescue. He has done it. And if we follow him, resurrection awaits. Wholeness awaits. Fullness and life awaits. So let's apply this to our stories. Um, one of the big deals for us in, in the world is learning how to address pain. Uh, how we interact with pain in our story directly relates to our comebacks. So Naomi, I think, was actually pretty healthy when she was saying, you know what, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I'm, my life is bitter. God's against me. She was at least honest and uh, talking about what was going on in her life. Uh, one of the commentaries said she's very real with her grief. But when we don't address pain, uh, part of my role with Covenant Youth of Alaska is to what types of things help create health in our communities throughout the state. And one of the big issues is unaddressed pain fuels incredibly destructive lifestyles. 
And, I, and I'm not just pointing at other people. This, in my own life, this has been true. When I'm not attentive to the pain in my life, and again, I'm not comparing to others, I'm a wimp. <laughs> my pain still hurts me, and, and I'm going to either try to numb it or I'm going to try to get healing from it or through it. But pain, disappointment, weariness of pain causes people to really struggle, and woundedness. All of those things relate to broken humanity, broken world, and a fallen enemy. We experience really hard things, and what are we going to do about it? So pain is a gift, and I know I've shared that. Uh, when I hit my, ha- ha- my thumb with a hammer, ow, <laughs> something's wrong. Something happened. Don't do that again. If I have my hand on a wood stove or something hot, you know, if I couldn't feel pain, I would just burn it off. Pain tells me something's wrong. I need to address something's wrong. So when we have emotional pain, we need to address it. One of the big issues for our culture in particular, and in my own life, we try to kill pain or numb ourselves so that we don't feel anything, and we use gifts. Most of these things are neutral things that we take and we twist it and try to just Man, I just want more of that, more of that, because it feels good. So food, sex, substances, materialism, fill in the blank. We chase after all kinds of things because they feel good, and they help us with that issue of pain and brokenness. And we just want more of it, and it doesn't help anything, and usually it leads to more brokenness. So what is already hard becomes a total avalanche. Uh, And we can look at those other behaviors from misusing gifts— and think that they're the big problem. They are a problem, but they're not the big problem. Uh, any addiction or I'm not just what I do. I'm more than that. And this isn't my biggest problem. My biggest problem is that I don't know what to do with the pain in my life. And so, um, or I, I lack the courage to keep going. That's probably my story. Is I just like, man, I'm done. You know, I... In my head, I'm really tough. You know, yeah, Viking, Swedish, yeah. But in reality, my wife could tell you, I'm just not as tough as I think I am. And a lot of us aren't either. We give in to a lot of stuff. And we try to find life where it can't be found. So misused gifts are a huge problem. This is a blessing, you know, for being in a church. We want to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness but we have to walk there ourselves. We can't give what we don't have. And it's an ongoing thing for me. This is an ongoing journey of walking out my salvation, working out my salvation, letting God heal the broken parts of me. Uh, At leadership camp, part of why I love going is our prayer team is there, healing prayer team. And the last two years I started receiving from that. I want to go through the class I think those are the healers in our church right now. So God is at work in that way. And I'd encourage you, if any of this strikes a chord this morning, it's like, man, you're starting to pull the lid off of my pot, you know. (laughs) I just want to keep the lid on everything, keep it contained. God is able to handle that. And he's able to walk with us. And he's able to bring healing into our story. He can, and he does. So, One thing we need to understand about misused gifts is they will take us farther than we want to go. If you start taking something, I want life from this because it feels good, you're going to take more of it than you ever thought you would take. You'll go farther than you want to go. 
So that's when we're misusing it. You can still experience gifts. You just got to give God credit and you got to go to him for life. And then just enjoy gifts. Don't try to get life from them. They will cost us more than we want to pay. And we slowly trade in our identity into what we do. You know, I'm just a liar. I'm just an addict. I'm just, you know, in the Bible, I'm a known sinner. And two very important things. You are not what you do, and you're not, you are not what has been done to you. So a very huge thing I want to encourage you to do is reject Take off the idea that you are rejected because of what you've done. So if you've struggled with misusing gifts, I have. I do. You're not rejected because of what you've done. Throw that away. Reclaim the idea of being a son or a daughter. That's who you are. You are fully loved as sons and daughters. And God wants you to live into being a son and daughter. And that needs to become true of me more and more every day. The thief lies about the Father. The Father has compassion toward us. He's the God of compassion and all comfort. The Father is. He's not blaming me. He's not, uh, well, I think he could be disappointed and compassionate at the same time. But he's not shaming me like I'm ashamed of who you are, Mike. He invites me into life. So this morning as we uh, look toward closing, um, I think we could be in a lot of different spots as we interact with the book of Ruth. Some of you have had incredibly hard stories. And I don't want to make light of that, and I, I want to encourage. The good news as we look at the kinsman redeemer is that Jesus is your closest relative. If he's real, he is the God of the universe, and he's claiming to be your closest relative, your brother. Your brother is coming for you. If you are bruised and broken, your brother is coming. And I love uh, Pastor Rich Irwin from Anchorage City Church. I love that guy. Great leader. I love what he said. He had a message this fall that I just saw on Facebook. Um, He said, hold on. Don't give up. God will be on time. So if you are struggling with, "I I can't take any more of my story, Hold on. Don't give up. God will be on time. Your, your closest relative is coming for you. He loves you. He wants to restore. He wants to bring hope. Um, and then just day by day, I would encourage, just don't think about the mountain. Just take the next step. Ask for hope for the day. God, would you give me hope today? Some anchors for me in my journey. And I use this word, and I probably, you know, don't use it correctly, like, oh, that's out of context. You know what? If it gives me hope, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, but Psalm thirty-four, eighteen: the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's an anchor for me when I feel like everything's washing away. The other, Isaiah 42, 3, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So if you're feeling like you're on the ropes, your closest relative is able to save and he wants to. Hold on to some anchors. Have hope for the day. Don't give up. God will be on time. And then let us pray, Lord, raise up Ruth's. If you notice, it's not just me and God figuring out. Naomi had Ruth. This, this person that was so committed to her, even in her own pain and brokenness. 
I'm not saying be unhealthy and ignore your own story, but we're meant to be with each other. And so there's people in this church that are incredible encouragers, even as they walk out through their own brokenness. We need more Ruths in our church. And guys, we could aspire to be like Ruth. She's a noble woman for us to follow and become like. So the other folks maybe want to address, and I'm not necessarily addressing the healthy folks this morning, so praise God for you. Just keep going. Uh, So the bruised and stuck are the bruised and crushed. And also then there's drifting, stuck, and excess. And this is probably where, if I get stuck, this is where I am. I drift. I get tired of enduring. I get tired of it. It's like, ah, I just want to feel good. I need to hear, and maybe if you're like me, your closest relative is coming for you. Fight the good fight, though. Don't just drift. I uh, had the privilege of borrowing a boat this summer out in Kachemak Bay, and I got terrified (laughs) when our boat didn't start out there. The current is incredibly strong. And drifting is incredibly perilous. You feel like you're fine while you're in it. But it's incredibly terrifying. I've had nightmares since that moment. Um, So if you're drifting, I want you to give a left and a right, all right? So everybody, here's the left. Say no to all the things that you're chasing that don't give life, that are just gifts. I've had to be pretty radical sometimes about issues in my life um, that I— things that I've said yes to to try to get life from, I just got to cut them out and leave them behind. I got to say no. I got to fight for health and life. And then the other side of fighting, the right hand, maybe the more important, is to say yes to God and his presence, to want him and his fullness. Um, how many times, Mike, you know, am I going to need to reset, Lord? If he told me the actual number, I'd probably quit. <laughs> yeah, it's probably been 10,000 times. I counted up maybe one a day for 25 years now as a Christian. Resetting, renewing. That's, that's close. That's 9,500 times. <laughs> uh, if he would have told me that, I probably would have quit. But you know what? The most important one is the next one. Mike, do you have one more in you? Yeah, I got one more in me. All right. Let's take one more. Renew hope. For us, we need to fight to remember that God is good, that God can give what we need, that he can help strengthen me through my struggle. Renew hope that God can supply what you most deeply want. Uh, And so from Psalm 16, due to time, I don't think I start, oh my, that's been my timer's been done, sorry. It's so quiet. The last, so Psalm 16, go ahead and read the whole thing. If you're a drifter, write it down right now. Psalm 16. There's a lot of good stuff in there. The very end, the last verse. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Other translations say, in your presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16:11. If you're drifting... God is what you want. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said, every man that goes into a brothel is looking for God. God is what we want most deeply, and gifts are never going to satisfy us.
Well, um, to close up, maybe you're in a Ruth season where God is empowering you to walk alongside someone. Um, Let's take those steps of faith too. Lastly, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So this idea of salvation, it's all this big thing. It, I am saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin, and I will be saved from the presence of sin. God wants to restore us. A Roman historian, Strabo, 63 B.C. to A.D. 24, told about the once famous silver mines in Spain. In referring to working out of those mines, he, refused, he used the same word Paul used in that verse, work out your salvation. Strabo meant, of course, that the Romans were operating, exploiting, and getting the utmost value of what was already theirs. So when Paul says, work out your salvation, he's like, take hold of it. Get healing. Get freedom. Don't just drift. Don't just stay stuck. Come alive. Be my son. Be my daughter. You can live. You don't have to just exist. Work out your salvation. It's already yours. Take steps into it. Expand it. I'm with you. I want to walk with you in it. Father, thank you that you don't leave us in our condition, that you have compassion on us, that we're not just what we do or what we've done or how we've gotten stuck, and that you can bring healing into our story that helps us walk in freedom from the things that are destructive. Thank you for life and freedom and that this is where our comebacks begin in you. You are the source of life. And so I pray for us as a church as we enter a new season. Help us, uh, help our healing prayer team be excellent at listening to you and guiding us toward freedom. Help the, the launch of those recovery ministries this fall be excellent at bringing health and healing. Father, thank you for the Ruths in our church. And may their ministry be fruitful this fall. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.